0: Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to read two scriptures this morning, one from Matthew chapter 4, and then another one from Luke chapter 9. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. Now, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were For they fished for a living. Now Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed Jesus. Now turn with me to over Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Again, beginning with verse 18. Now, one day Jesus left the crowds... To, p- to pray alone, only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say that you are one of the other ancient prophets that has risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Don't you just love it when Peter gets it right? I love Peter. I relate to Peter. Not often does he get it right. But when he does, he nails it. Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Uh, This next part won't be on the screen, but I want to read it anyway. Jesus uh, warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said, He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will rise from the dead. Some resurrection is going to happen. And he said to the crowd, now this is interesting because just a second ago, he's leaving the crowd, only talking to his disciples. But by the time he's only gotten a few sentences out of his mouth, a crowd has formed around Jesus. If you were Jesus back then, it was hard to get by yourself. People just followed you. So by this time, a crowd has formed around. He says to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. But if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my name's sake, you will save it. So he's like, there's this whole flip that's getting ready to happen. I know you think that you're going to find life by holding on to it, but the way you're going to find life is actually by letting it go. We'll come back to that in a moment. So, Matthew 4, Jesus is getting ready to start really public ministry. He is calling his disciples to him. He is taking a walk along the Sea of Galilee. He is at this shoreline, this place where, where sea meets land. There's this convergence that's taking place. Of, there's a little echo on this, too. I could, I could feel it. I just, I'm about to just start yelling or something, and y'all are going to be like, ooh, ooh. And so he's walking on this place in the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these two brothers, Peter and Andrew, are in the boat, and they are fishing. And this looks like a normal day. They're on the, uh, the sea line. To everyone else, this is, just, this is just what happens there. Guys are fishing. But there is a problem. There's a problem that Jesus sees that probably most other people don't see. And the problem is this, the Bible tells us that they were throwing their nets into the water because they were fishing for a living. See, but Jesus could look down deep into their soul and see, no, there's a problem with Peter. See, he's fishing for a living, but he's not truly alive. See, he's paying the bills, he's making the boat payment, he's doing everything he can, he's doing everything right, he's doing A, B, C, and D, checking off all the marks, but there's something inside of Peter's soul that knows that, man, I'm created for something more. I I don't know what it is, but I'll just keep fishing. I'll just keep fishing, and he's there, and you could just tell, and Jesus, Jesus knows it. Jesus sees him. He sees that in Peter's eyes there's something in him that knows he's supposed to be doing something else. But this is what's in front of him. And so he's fishing for a living, but in his soul, he's not really alive. Has anybody ever been there? Where where, where you're breathing, you're eating, you're living, but you ain't alive. There's something inside of you that says, We're made for more than this. I don't know what it is, but see, here, there's a problem here. There's a big problem. If you were growing up then in that time, first century Jerusalem, there was all these different ways in which you found your place in society. So they had an educational system, much like we have an educational system. And the kids would go to school, and they would learn. And a big part of their, their education was learning the scriptures, learning the Torah, what we would call the Old Testament, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. These kids would actually memorize entire books of the Bible, which we're trying to get your kids to remember, like, one verse. You're trying to get your pastor to remember one verse. Like these kids would memorize entire Books of the Bible, which is just wow, this is crazy. So these kids would go, and, they, and here's the thing as you progressed and you educated, you'd go through different levels um, just how we have elementary, mid school, uh, high school, and, and so forth and so on. But here's the thing if you were the best, if you were the best of the best, I mean, if you were top gun class, a rabbi would come in and a rabbi would approach you and say, You know what? You could be my disciple and you could follow me. And so all of a sudden, like, you were chosen, right? You got to follow this rabbi, this teacher, and you would learn his ways, and you would learn his teachers and ha- teachings and how he interpreted the scriptures, and you would follow in the footsteps of your rabbi. And if no rabbi picked you, it just simply meant you're not good enough. And so when Peter was there and Andrew was there, these are two brothers that have grown up in this system that have gone through it, and no one has picked them. And so the message to them is very clear. Listen, y'all are good boys. Y'all are great fishermen, but you're not just good enough to be any rabbi's disciples. Nobody wants you. You're just not quite good enough. And, and so they're there. They're in this moment, and they're fishing, and no one has picked them. And, and this is the summation of their life, and they're feeling it of like, I, don't, I know I couldn't beat out the other kids, but there's still something in my soul that tells me I was made for more. See, there, have you ever felt this, that you're made for greatness, but you wake up to the reality that you're flipping burgers for $8 an hour, right? Like, God, you've put something into my spirit, but then you've, you've still got taco stains all over your shirt. Like, you can't eat Bojangles, but get will get hot sauce all over you. And you're trying to convince everyone that, like, there's greatness inside of you. And you still can't put that fitted sheet on the bed without four different times. How does this thing? Don't even try to fold it. It's impossible. You can't fold a fitted sheet. I don't care what they say. Google it. It's not possible. It tells you. Google will tell you. And you're like, man, there's greatness inside of me. I know it. And then you look in the mirror, and there's this gulf between who you think you are and who you're created to be and who you actually are. And you're just like, I don't know. I know that there's this gulf, but somehow, someway, God, I know you've put something in me. I don't know what it is, but I'm stuck. And I remember having... Personally, some of these moments throughout my life of just this feeling that, God, you've put something in me, but I, I, I'm, I'm forced to deal with the reality that, man, it, it, it's nowhere near what I thought it would be. See, God, I, I thought that you, you would do these things, and I, mean, I, I would speak to, to hundreds and thousands of people and millions of people, and, and all these people would, would listen, but the truth is nobody's listening to me. There's these moments where like my wife isn't listening to me. My kids showing up ain't listening to me. I mean, I don't know. I try to like, there's a reason why I don't give y'all parental advice. Because I don't know what I'm doing, y'all. Them kids, they just do what they want, and I'm just, please don't make me look bad at church. That's y'all thought it too. Y'all thought it. Y'all in there, I seen y'all at the check-in station. Nobody's listening. My wife ain't listening, my kid, my dog ain't listening. He just does whatever he wants. Stand up. He sits down. Go to sleep. He is wide awake. Uh, Alexa, don't listen to me. I tell the girl to do something. Put cornflakes on my shopping list. I've added snowflakes to your shopping. <laughs> Alexa, I don't want no snowflakes. On second thought, maybe I do. That kind of sounds good. Amazon deliver you some snowflakes. They'll do it. Amazon will do that stuff. And, like, nobody's listening, and it's like, but God, I thought you had put something in me that I'm supposed to do this, and, I'm so, and but there's the reality of where I am, things aren't matching up. I'm fishing for a living, but I'm not alive. Or at least it doesn't feel that way. At least no one's confirmed it in me. At least no rabbis come beside me and told me that I was good enough. And so I just keep doing this thing day after day, hoping that something will change. And before long, it's not long until I begin to doubt who I am. And I begin to doubt those things that you've spoken over me. And God, God, I know you've you've said those things. I know you said I'm the head, not the tail. It doesn't feel it right now. I know you said I'm blessed. But man, this doesn't feel like blessed. Blessed. I know you said all of these things about me, but God, when I look in the mirror, when I look at the situation, are you sure this is who I am? Are you sure that you didn't make a mix-up, that you're talking to the right person? Hold on to that. So there's this moment here further along in the scriptures where Jesus, again, is, he, he's breaking free from the crowd He gets into a group of people, and uh, he gets just his disciples and he and he asked them this question that I believe is very very strange. He says, "Who do people say that I am?" And I just think that this is so crazy that Jesus would ask this question. Who do people say that I am? Because this is who cares? I mean, this is what we teach our kids. Like it doesn't matter what other people say about you. Like it doesn't like so J- Jesus, this doesn't feel like this is you. You're asking this question about what other people are saying about you. Other people will say all kinds of things about you, and to which the disciples tell them, well, some people say you could be John the Baptist. Some people say that you could be some uh, Elijah or one of the prophets that have died. So they give him this list, and to which Jesus basically is kind of saying, like, that's confusing. This is who the world says I am. But then, see, I think that this question was just one of those bait questions, Jesus isn't really asking this question because he needs validation on who he is. See, Jesus knows who he is, but he's trying to teach the disciples a lesson. And he's trying to get something into them. So he goes from, who do other people say that I am, to being very specific to saying, wait, a hold on, but who do you say that I am? Now, who does your mama say that I am? Now, who does your pastor say that I am? Now, who does anybody else, who do you Say that I am. See, because Christ knows who he is, whether, whether or not Peter recognizes it or not, whether, whether the, the crowd recognizes it or not. So, so Jesus knows who he is. He has total affirmation of who he is with the Father and, and, and how he is living. And yet it's so funny that Jesus is asking this question, teaches disciples a lesson, yet this is the very question that we ask, not in a manner of, uh, of trying to get around to something else, but we find our affirmation in what other people say about us. And, and so what other people say, we begin to take on those aspects of if someone else just tells me I'm good enough, if someone else tells me I'm this or I'm that, uh, that's where I find my sense of being, I send, find my sense of belonging, I find my sense of, of self-worth in what the crowd says. Now, we would never say that out loud, right? But yet, oftentimes, that's how we live. There was actually a, a kind of famous rap song years ago where the rapper said, I am whatever you say I am. And if I wasn't, why would I say I am? In the papers, the news, every day I am. I don't know, that's just the way I am. And it was a stupid song. (laughs) But I think it reflected the culture of the day, where there was a lot of young people, myself included, where that's exactly where we were finding our validation from, is what other people would say. And, and, and so Jesus brings this in, in, in home, and he's like, hold on, but let's, let's make this very clear. Because this is what I believe. And this search that we have to really know who we are, you're never going to know who you are until you know who he is. Did you catch that? You're never truly going to know who you are until you know who he is. And when you understand who he is, you can understand who you are. And if you're trying to figure out who you are, by the words of somebody else or by the words of the crowds, it will only leave you confused. Well, some say this and some say that and some say, well, you're just boys that are fishing on a boat. But Jesus says, hold up, I see something else in you. What I see may not line up with your present reality, but watch this. And all of a sudden, he takes them on a journey, and things begin to change. And there's a little tweak that takes place in their lives. And I think we have to know this, too, because there's another aspect that's very important. When we have a firm grip on who we are in Christ, we have to know this. Why? Because things will get rough. Things will get rough. And if you do not understand who you are in him, you'll give up because you'll begin to believe that every road bump on your journey is all about you. And you will have road bumps, not just bumps, potholes, and ditches, and pain, and suffering. And that's why Jesus and Luke, I think here, right, right after ask, asking these questions about, about who, who he is and who he is to, specifically to Peter, he warns them and tells them, listen, you've got to understand this. The Son of Man, who you just testified is that is your Messiah, he's going to suffer many terrible things. Everyone, th- these people, these high priests, these elders, these teachers of the religious law, they are going to reject me and then they are going to kill me. And what you have to understand, if you are my disciple, you're following in my footsteps. And if they reject me, they're going to reject you. And if you don't have a full grasp and full understanding of who you are in me, when things do get tough, you might give up. And this is hard because we've had those moments, and we've stepped out in faith, and we've started like, all right, God, I'm believing for you to do something, and then things just went horribly wrong. And then the first thing we want to do is question, well, did I really hear from God? But the thing is, if you actually look at the scriptures, every person, every single one that started following God and stepping out of faith stepped into a whole bunch of problems. God showed Abraham, listen, Abraham, man, look at the stars in the sky. It's going to be awesome. All, all of this is going to, be, it's going to be wonderful. You have this big vision, and then you know what the next thing says not too long later? And then there was a famine in the land. Wait, hold on. I just packed up all my stuff. I just moved out here. God, you were going to do all these things, and now all of a sudden I walked directly into a famine. Yep. So you stepped out in faith, and you started moving with God, and things got rough. Yep. Welcome to being a disciple. I know you've been taught differently. (laughs) I know this is hard to hear, because it's like, hey, come to Jesus, a unicorn will jump over your house and rain down magical Skittles, and your bank account will be full, and you're never going to have to deal with your kids acting crazy again. You've been told that in one form or the other. And it just doesn't happen. And Jesus is very clear. Listen, this is part of it. You're going to pick up your cross daily. A cross, that means you're going to lie on this torture machine and someone else is going to nail some nails in your hands. And it's going to be the very ones that you're dying for. The very ones that you've come and that you're trying to help often might be the very ones that crucify you but you can't let your heart get hardened. This is why I came. And so Jesus is painting this picture to the disciples. And here's the thing. There is greatness in your soul, but there is pain in the plan. There is greatness in your soul, but there is pain in the plan. See, when we make plans, it never involves pain. It always involves with everything working out the best way it could, hey, we're going to do this. Hey, we're going we're gonna to have, have another child. It's going to be so awesome. It's going to be so beautiful. And then nine months later, that girl is yelling at you in the hospital room. And she's giving birth to this nine-pound watermelon and this big-headed child. And she's squeezing your hand. And she's saying, you're never going to touch me again. And you're like, we ain't never having no more kids. And there's pain. And then all you can do is hope that that baby comes and she sees it, and then it's all worth it, right? There's pain in it. There's pain in the process. Jesus said, listen, the cross, it's part of it. Paul, when he called him, listen, I'm going to show him all of the things that he must suffer for my sake. Peter, listen, there's going to come a day when someone's going to take you by your hand and lead you to a place that you don't want to go, Jesus even said, listen, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Did you catch that one? Before he even spoke a word and all of this came into existence, he knew what it was going to cost him. He knew what it was going to cost him. He knew the pain that was going to happen by creating you and me. And he did it anyway. Uh, I, I, read, I read this Mike Tyson quote, I feel terrible quoting Mike Tyson in church but I just quoted Eminem earlier, so. Um, he says this, he was talking about boxing, he said, everyone has a plan until they get knocked down. Hmm? Everyone has a plan until go- they get knocked down. And, and you know, if you think about your, your, your plans, again, your plans are always free from pain. Uh, just not too long ago, me and my family, we got to go, uh, I was speaking at a, a conference And uh, part of the conference, we got to go down and stay at this hotel. And so there was this certain idea, dream, that I had in my mind of how it was going to go. I was like, baby, this is going to be great. It's summertime. We're going to go. We're going to stay at this nice hotel. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to chill by the pool all day. And the kids are going to play. And it's going to be fun. And, like, that's the dream, right? There's the vacation dream. And then there's what actually happens. And your kids are crazy, and somebody's whining, and somebody else needs a nap. And and, and then, you know, the whole, it's a $17 bagel at the hotel. You're like, what is this all about? Just like, no. And then you're trying to find some breakfast, and then you got all these kids with you, and then you're crazy enough to take your worship leader's kids with you too. And so you got a table with like 14 kids, and you're like, man, Yeah, and you, let's do this again. This was a great time. This was a wonderful vacation. Said no one, ever. You know, yeah, we're taking these kids out to eat. Not. I don't even know what I was, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, there's pain in the plan. We didn't plan for that. Yet it happens. There's a little bit of bitterness there, Still, I'm trying to work through it. The bigger your dream, the bigger the pain. I know you've dreamed of all these things, and uh, be prepared. Because listen, it it very much is a very real war. And when you start moving with God, and when you start moving and start leading in your home uh, as the leader of your household... To, to be the man of God that God, God has called you to be, expect some resistance from the enemy. When you start moving out and, and starting those new businesses and starting those new things and, and, and reaching out to your coworkers, don't expect everything to just go the best. There, there's going be, to be a process that you're going to go through. And the enemy is going to do everything he can to get you to doubt who you are in Christ. And, and he, he will do everything he can to point his fingers on your past failures. See, so yeah, I, I know, Michael, a you, you, hundred days sober, uh, yeah, but you ain't gonna make it. We, we all know you've tried this four or five times and you've failed every time. It's just a matter of time before you're another drunk again, just, just like your uncle, just like your father, just like... And if we're not careful, when things get tough, we could believe those lies. We've got to have something that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. No, it doesn't matter. Jesus, it's what you have said. It's what you've deposited in me. And I know I'm going through some things, but God, you're bigger than this problem. And all of this pain, everything of this hurt, God, you will, I don't know how, but you will work it for the good somehow. I know we've turned it to this kind of little cliche or whatever, but here's the thing, God. I put it in your hands, and God, it's yours. And I might not even see the outworking of it in my lifetime, but God, I'm okay with that. Because there will come a day when I stand before you, and I know you fully, just as I am fully known. And all of it will have been one. So you don't have to answer my questions on this side of eternity. You don't have to to fill in the blank, God. I'll learn one day. But for now, for this day, for this moment, Jesus, it doesn't look what my circumstances look like. God, I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. God, because you are able. You're the one that speaks the word and causes all of this. God, you could bring resurrection to this soul no matter what it is. I want to end with this story. There was this uh, video I saw not too long ago, and if the worship team can come back up, uh, where this, uh, it was actually Jeff Gordon, a race car, NASCAR driver. Jeff Gordon got all dressed up and uh, an old man outfit. He was, I don't, he looked, you know, seven years or something old. And he goes, dresses, dresses up in this old man outfit. And he goes to the Chevy dealership. And some of y'all have seen this. It's just awesome. Don't spoil it for me. Let me tell the story. <laughs> don't spoil it, Keith. I know you've seen this one. So he gets all dressed up. And he goes to the Chevy dealership. And he, uh, the salesman comes out and talks to him. And he says, yeah, I want to I test drive a car. So... He jumps into the car, and the salesman sits sitting beside and it's this brand new 2018 Camaro Z78, whatever it is, and so they just start driving, and all of a sudden, Jeff Gordon just starts being Jeff Gordon, you know. He guns it, and he's like going through the streets, and he's doing donuts, and I wanted to show you the video, but there's profanity in the video, because the dude beside him is like, what? You know, there's a 70-year-old guy. He has no clue. is a 70-year-old man that's, like, whipping this car around. He's taking it over. And the guy is, you're responsible for this car. If you wreck this car, you're in trouble. I'm calling the cops. And Jeff Gordon, like, swings it into the Chevy dealership, does a donut in the parking lot, pulls it up. The salesman gets out of the car, slams the door, and he goes to just, you know, he's, like, going to call the cops. And Jeff Gordon, quick, he pulls off the mask. And he says, hold on, hold on, it's me, you know? And this was the amazing point, where the guy looks at him and he says this, let's do it again. (laughs) Right? I thought it was so awesome. He's gone from absolutely fear and terror of oh my gosh, what is this guy doing, to all of a sudden there was a recognition of who was in the driver's seat. And he said, let's do it again. Stand with me. I'm here to tell you this morning, when you have Jesus in the driver's seat, you can look at him, and here's the thing, Jesus will take you to some places that you don't want to go. Because if he's going to drive, he's going to drive the way that he wants to drive. And sometimes he drives that car right through the valley of the shadow of death. Right through the pain and the hurt. Sometimes he takes that car and he parks it in the valley of the shadow and he gets out of the car and he spreads out a table and a blanket and he says, you know what, we're going to have dinner right here. And the psalmist says, he prepares a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. See, but if we don't know who he is, we're going to be like that that guy that, man, just get me out of this, Jesus, get me out of this. But when we understand that we are in the hands of an expert driver, God, you could take me through the valley, you could park it right here, we could have a meal right here in the midst of all of the craziness, God. There could be a peace that passes all understanding, God, because you're in control, and I know who I am in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, forgive us if we've tried to take over. God, if we've tried to jump into the driver's seat and just said that we could do a better job than you. Lord, we're giving you the keys back this morning. You're in control. Take take us where you want us. God, we repent. We repent, Jesus. If you're in here this morning and you just kind of feel like you've been Peter or Andrew, you've you've been kind of fishing for a living, but you're not truly alive. You've been going through the motion. Maybe you've been doing all of the right things, but there's something in your heart that you know that you're meant for more. And Jesus is calling out this morning the same words that echoed off of that seashore 2,000 years ago to those disciples, follow me. With those two words, what Jesus was saying to those disciples was, you're good enough. You're good enough. I'm calling you to be my disciple. I don't care what anyone else, I don't care what the crowd has said about you. I'm telling you, you could be my disciples. And this morning, all is forgiven. There is nothing that you have done that changes anything about the way the Father feels about you. And with arms wide open, he is saying, come home. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.